What's up, guys? It is Friday, December 11th, 2020, and this is this week's edition of the FritzCast. Now, last week, I didn't give you an episode. And I'll tell you why I didn't give you an episode. Because there's there's several reasons why. One, I get busy around the holidays. It, it just it, It's holiday time. Things get busy. It gets harder, you know. We're in the middle of a global pandemic. My job hasn't stopped. So so I'm working. Um, you know, between that, my wife finishing up school for this round, um, and uh, some of the other ongoing things like decorating the house, you know, Christmas shopping and, and things of that nature, um, it's hard to keep up sometimes. So, yeah, I took a week. Sue me. Um, but... Not only that, uh, I just, sometimes you just need a break. Like, to, to really, for me, I love the holidays. I love Christmas. Well, from Thanksgiving to about January, you know, 2nd, I really enjoy that time of, uh, of the year. And to, to fully enjoy it, sometimes I need to take myself and remove myself from the BS that is politics. Uh, because... I could have done an episode, and I could have told you a lot about uh, the Donald Trump press conferences. This this drunk lady that was uh, testifying in Minnesota was it? What it was Minnesota or Min- or Michigan? I forget what, but it was like uh, on Twitter. It really, I, I it was mind numbing to me because uh, everybody was like, "Oh, this this Trump star witness," and the chick is at the table like this, like, what oh, like. The register book wasn't off. What did you do? Like take something, do something to it, something weird. And they, they were touting her as the star witness, and clearly she was drunk. <laughs> clearly she was drunk at this court hearing for a very serious thing. I'm not, you know, the 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 Trumps that listen, listen. I get it. Um, you probably, if you didn't get the opportunity, I was on the generational gap. Uh, they invited me on as a guest, and I think I was there for about an hour with them. Uh, talking and uh, we talked a little bit about the election um, the integrity of the election the legal battles that are going on you know and and I will not I'm not going to sit here and tell you that the legal battles shouldn't be happening and that they're an egregious um, mishandling that Trump shouldn't even be allowed to have no um Hillary Clinton had legal battles from the 2016 election, okay? Every election has legal challenges and legal battles. This is what happens. You test the system. You allow the candidates to test the system because guess what? Voting systems aren't perfect. Now, does that mean that there was massive nationwide voter fraud? I I don't know. I, I don't know. It seems unlikely to me because a lot of it is debunked when you really read deeper into things. But beside the point, though, I get the argument that, uh, you know, for the past four years, Democrats have challenged the 2016 election, and just after the 2020 election, apparently Trump and Trump supporters and MAGA hat wearers aren't allowed to challenge the election 
even though we've gone through four years of the election being challenged, and now here we are, just a mere month after the election, it's still being challenged, and people are just, you know, mind blown. I could have told, I could have talked about that. I could have talked about how the lockdowns are rolling back in. I kind of do with my guest today. My guest today is Angela McCardle, uh, who is the chair of the L.A. County Libertarian Party. She's running for the LP National Chair in 2022. Uh, she's a very prominent, well-known, rising activist in the liberty movement. Uh, and she's just an all-around great, nice, interesting person to talk to. Uh, and I was really thankful that she came onto the episode and talked today because she's very passionate about what she does for the libertarian movement. And you can, I think you'll get a vibe of that. Now, if you're a person who's, you know, cool with lockdowns, cool with mask mandates, and cool with possible vaccination mandates, this might not be the episode for you. Uh, but if you're a little bit more of an open mind and willing to hear out the arguments, you know, I think that this will be a, a good food for thought episode for you. And for you libertarians out there, like me, I'm a real libertarian. Stephen Ignoramus said I was a real libertarian on his show. Shout out to Stephen Ignoramus. Brian Nichols said I was on his show, the Brian Nichols show. Shout out to him. Chris Spangle interviewed me on Pathways to Libertarianism. I think that stands for something, right, Chris? Hopefully. And these are all shows that you should check out, too, by the way. Anytime I shout somebody out, whether it's jokingly or, or otherwise, it, it, it is like it, it's me recommending and, and saying that you should check them out. Um, <laughs> but Angela McArdle came on the show. We had a great discussion, and I don't want to drag this out any longer. Now, so I missed the episode last week. This week I'm giving you Angela McArdle. Great episode that you're getting ready to, to, to be a part of. Next week, uh, which, what, what, what is that? What is the date for next week? See, this is where my ill-preparedness comes into play and people start mocking me, and I don't like that. Uh, you think I would learn, but I don't. I don't learn. So next, next week, Friday the 18th, Thursday's the 17th. At some point next week, I'm going to be recording another show. Um, it might touch up on the politics, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking more, no, I'm thinking more, let's make it Christmassy. Let's, let's make it like, you know, our top favorite Christmas movies and why Elf isn't one of them, <laughs> which pisses you people off, but it's what I'm here for. So without further ado, guys, get ready, tighten your seatbelts. Angela McArdle on FritzCast right here, right now. Angela, welcome on to the FritzCast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really excited to have the opportunity to talk to you uh, uh, today um, about a lot of different stuff, for real. Uh, you, you've got quite, quite a bit that we, can, uh, that we can dive into, but I know who you are. Some of the people watching might not know who you are. They might be familiar with your name. So uh, I always like to, to start my guests. You know, tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your history and backstory, just, just so we know who Angela McArdle is. Sure. I think half of it's remarkable and half of it's utterly unremarkable. But, uh, you know, I moved to California from Texas when I was a teenager. I grew up in a traditional conservative Christian home with a pretty, you know, knee-jerk Republican upbringing 
And it wasn't until I became a teenager and met some other people talking about politics. Uh, you know, there was one guy in particular who was just like this older rocker dude who was in a, a local band that I followed. And he was really influential through just a couple of really brief conversations. And I think that's a pretty good thing to note is you never know what kind of impact you're going to make on someone, even in just sort of a nonchalant conversation. But he asked me, you know, what are your politics? And I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm a Republican, but I don't look, you know, like, I don't think that the drug war, you know, is, is such a great thing. Like, I, I don't think that my friends should be locked up for smoking weed or anything like that. And, you know, like, I, I don't care that much about gay marriage. You know, gay people can get married if they want to. It doesn't bother me. I just, you know, I'm a conservative. And he said, well, kind of sounds like you're more like a libertarian. And he told me a little bit about that. And I thought, yeah, you know what? I'm a libertarian. So for most of my adult life, I have identified as a libertarian, even if I didn't know that much about it early on. And I got really activated when I started getting politically involved locally in LA with, uh, with an interesting proposal by the Los Angeles City Council to ban feeding the homeless. So that got me really, really active and riled up about, you know, sure, I, I hate the government in theory, I don't like it, but wow, now I really see how it's impacting my community because I used to every couple, well, a couple times a week, I would go down to Skid Row and volunteer with a couple of other grassroots groups, doing food sharing with the homeless population, just reaching out to them like they're human beings, you know? And, and so I participated and helped organize a huge protest against that uh, LA City Council measure. We got over 800 people down at the corner of uh, Hollywood and Vine, which is a huge tourist trap. And uh, right in front of a city council member's office and we got the whole thing scrapped and tons of media attention and I thought ooh, I like this like I really like fighting the government like right up front like oh it felt so good to win and after that I volunteered on the SB 277 referendum to overturn a mandatory vaccination rule for California schools and I just started to get more involved with the party after that and our uh, state chair at the time roped me into uh, running for Congress in a special election. His name is Ted Brown and he's active in Texas now. Of course, I said no in the beginning. I said, no, I'm, you know, I'm more of an anarchist. I don't, I don't want to do that. And, but he was relentless and just, so finally I relented and I said, yes, okay, I'll run. And, and I thought, ooh, that was really fun too. Like they put a microphone in front of you and they parade you around in front of the media and you could say whatever you want, you know? So I had like progressives telling me, you know, asking me questions like, what do you think the role is of government? And I'm like, I want to get rid of the government. And oh, well, let's take the mic away from you now, you know, but I got to sneak in, you know, all kinds of good sound bites and got an article in LA Times. And I thought, this is, this is such a great opportunity to spread liberty. You get, you get to get your message up on this platform. And, you know, that 2017 race I ran in was just a circus. Even CNN was covering it because there were so many people running in it. It was just absurd. But, but I got a little slice of that pie just like everyone else did. So that's sort of how I started my activism within the LP. You know, it wasn't really in internal. It was from the outside. And then gradually, you know, the Liberty Party, like they just pulled me in. Wow. And I want to I want to go back to uh, to how you said you you were you were originally a conservative and or at least you thought you were and you didn't really know what a libertarian was it had to be explained to you do you think that the you think that the libertarian party or at least the philosophy that that's 
part of the problem is a lot of people just don't know what it is. They, they haven't heard it. And so they don't really, they don't know what it stands for. They don't really know what it's about. And so they don't have that, like that, that connection to it. Yeah. I think that it's usually one of two things. Either people haven't heard of it or they've heard something totally wild and ridiculous. Like libertarians are all, you know, billionaire corporation owners who hate poor people and want children to starve. So you're like, oh, well, obviously I'm not that. So then you don't look into it anymore. When the reality is, you know, if you're just, if you want limited government and you don't really care about bossing other people around, you probably got a lot of libertarian leanings and maybe you just need to iron out one or two other issues that you're uninformed on. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. Um, do, do you think, um, do you think the outreach from the party is, uh, is sufficient in trying to, gauge those those i guess you could say undecided or independent people who who maybe haven't you know committed to a political party well i'd like to make a couple of distinctions you've got messaging from the national party and that's what most people think of when they think of the libertarian party but then you've got state and county level parties so i'm just Mm going to speak about national for a minute okay i do not think that the messaging coming from national is good i think it's terrible no offense you know i think it's terrible I don't think it's winning anyone over. I think that when you try to please everyone, you end up pleasing and informing no one. And that's what I see happening right now. Right, right. And, and that's something that I was reading up on. Um, I believe it was a, a Reason Magazine article mm-hmm. about the future of the LP, um, where I, I believe you were very prominent in speaking uh, about, I don't want to say... I don't want to say dissatisfaction, but maybe disappointment in Joe Jorgensen's campaign. Yeah, I did. Yeah. So, I mean, there were pros and cons in the Joe Jorgensen campaign. And I think the entire thing needs to be prefaced with the fact that we have never run a candidate under a crazy lockdown before, Mm -hmm. where at least at least half of the people in the country are afraid to go out and go to social events and see people speak in person. So that's a tough hurdle. And that's especially a tough hurdle coming from the third largest party. I don't like to say we're a third party, by the way. We are the third party. So, you know, there were some pros. Uh, We finally got two actual libertarians running, and that hasn't been done in a while. We didn't get ex-Republicans. That's a lot of, you know, that grievance comes up all the time. Oh, where are the party of ex-Republicans? Well, that's not the case. We ran two principled Republicans. And Believe it or not, you know, there was a lot of drama about some of her tweets and bad messaging, which I'll get to. But prior to that, it had had actually united the people within the party. There was way less drama going into this election after we got people noted, after we got our candidates nominated and and we all voted and everything was said and done with. People were pretty much like, yeah, you know what? This is all right. I can live with this. She's principled. Her messaging isn't terrible. You know, I, I... Maybe I don't like the way she phrases some of the things, but she's not, you know, talking about how jury nullification is bad, like one of the other candidates did. So going in, I had, I had not unrealistically high hopes, but I was thinking, you know what, this is going to look better than the Johnson campaign. Right. And then, and then maybe things didn't work out the way eternally optimistic Angela had hoped. So, you know, 
I think Joe Jorgensen started out well. I think she probably made some poor choices with staff. I don't know why. I, I have speculations. I know that uh, she and Spike didn't campaign together, which was a bummer. And Spike isn't as well known, but I, th I think that his messaging was a little bit more radical, which I appreciated. Some of her messaging, like a lot of her BLM tweets were interpreted in wildly different ways. Yes. And people in the party were pissed off and they thought, you know, this is pandering. She's using cultural Marxist language. Do I think that she intended to do that? No, but could we have maybe listened to other people in the Liberty community who are really good at messaging? Yes. I think that there's a, there are effective ways to message to the left without co-opting their language too. But it wasn't just the one BLM tweet. There were several, you know, missteps. The thing with Alan Dershowitz as a Supreme Court pick. Ew, yep, yep, I, baffling. You know, what? I, yeah, thank you so much for retracting that tweet. I appreciate it. However, however, a simple Google search probably could have prevented that. And when you issue a retraction, but at the end of it, you make a comment to the effect of, but I still think he's pretty good. Otherwise, don't do that. That's not good. Ugh, ugh. It, you know, so that's one she said some kind of cringy things about how she supported businesses firing people for expressing personal views on social media. I just don't understand what the point of that was. Who does that really reach out to? And what is the point of that messaging? Even if that's your personal opinion, I just don't understand where it's coming from. And I think that if you're in a position where you are spreading the message of liberty, you need to be oriented towards liberty. You need to understand your demographic. You need to understand what's gonna grow and amplify your messaging and anticipate fallout for when you say things that don't go over well. I just didn't see any of that in her social media campaign. And that was really disappointing. And it, it caused afterwards, you know, quite a bit of fallout and division within the party. So that was a real bummer. And you know, this is, we see it in Joe Jorgensen's campaign and I gotta say, you know, national does not run her campaign. These are two separate things. Sometimes people don't understand that if they're not involved in politics. Joe Jorgensen picks her people. That doesn't, national party doesn't get to tell Joe Jorgensen, you're gonna do this, this and this. That's just not how it works. But we did see quite a few parallels between the national party being, you know, just completely missing the ball on the lockdowns and being tone deaf and milk toast in their messaging and Joe Jorgensen doing the exact same thing. You know, we need to be both of them, the national party and Joe Jorgensen front and center should be screaming about how this is the biggest infringement of civil liberties in at least a hundred years. At minimum, comparing it to the Vietnam draft, comparing it to the Patriot Act, uh, this it's a disaster. And I don't understand how we're, sort of awkwardly tiptoeing around it because we don't want to offend people. We're the party that championed drug decriminalization and gay marriage before anyone else did. And now we're scared to say, you know, I, I don't think it should be illegal to go outside. What on earth? It sounds like we have grossly lost our way when it comes to leadership and who we entrust with our messaging. So that's sort of my takeaway from Joe Jorgensen and some of the parallels I'm seeing at National. Yeah, and I would say definitely, uh, I, I believe what you're saying is there needs to be some kind of synchronicity between the two. And, and 
very much so. The only sinking I saw was on the bad stuff. Like, you know, oh, well, she misfired and now LP Nationals misfiring. And and here we are kind of uh, – kind of in the in the background trying to scramble and be like you know and eh, no that's wrong like yeah, let's let's try to work, walk back on that and it, it's not a good look when when you're trying to when, when people are legitimately coming forward and asking questions and interested in in what we have to offer but the messaging is just not lining up or it's it's you know miscommunicating uh just to I kind of want to go off of uh, the the pandemic stuff that's happening right now, because uh, that, that came into the forefront of a lot of what you were saying Uh, because right now a lot of States uh, and the nation with, with president elect Joe Biden coming into play now um, everything seems to be getting more and more strict and like even worse than the last round of lockdowns that we went through, it seems like they're doubling down and Again, it seems like there's just not that voice from the party that that's up front saying, no, this is wrong. No, we can't be, you know, we, we can't quietly go into the night on this. We can't bow down to this. We need to stand up. People need to be able to go back to work. People need to be able to open their businesses. People need to be able to have their livelihoods. Um, we don't, we, we don't accept this, you know, mandate from the government to hole up and just sit and and do nothing just sit and fester while we try to figure out this pandemic stuff now what do you think of that oh it's it's embarrassing i mean this is the the most low-hanging fruit and we have fumbled the ball at the national level over and over again so you've got small business owners who are either they're former republicans or democrats uh independent not political and they are desperate for someone to help them just desperate and we've got national putting out tweets like well you know as long as people were to wear a mask voluntarily you know that's good you should do whatever you want uh okay why are we making that our messaging front and center how about you know what's happening right now is a travesty we're entering a totalitarian state we're under soft martial law you know, you, the political system has failed you. Your governors and your mayors are hypocrites. Let's embrace liberty. Let's fight together. I, I, I'm at a loss, honestly, as to how, how all of this has, has played out so poorly when it's like, it's like the government just like handed us the ball and we dropped it and we were like, what sport are we playing? That's how I feel about the, the national messaging on this. Yeah, no, it's very crazy because on top of this, this is the angle that I've been going when I talk to people about this. The government took away your job, took away your money, took away your income, and what did they give you in return? They gave you one stimulus check, one $1,200 stimulus check and said, ah, this should hold you over while we keep you out of work for a year, you know? Oh, yeah. And and it's just, it's ridiculous because we're human beings. We can make our own decisions. I've heard many a libertarian come forward and say, you know, if a business says that they're not going to let people in without wearing a mask, it's the business's right to do that. And it's a patron's right to say, well, I'm not giving them, you know, my business this is basic economics, it's like economics sure. 101. It, businesses have the right to impose such things. 
patrons have the right to say, eh, I'm not going to go to this place then. And it just, it seems to be falling flat. And what's even worse is that now we have Pfizer and AstraZeneca, a bunch of other companies coming out with the vaccines and the vaccines are getting pushed out. So we have President-elect Biden talking about, hey, I just want you to commit to wearing a mask for 100 days as if we all forgot about how it was only two weeks to flatten the curve. So now right. it's 100 days to wear a mask because why? I don't know. I don't know. But and, and with the vaccine, I've already seen news stories with the New York Times coming out where uh, they're already people are already being preconditioned like they thought, oh, well, this vaccine comes. Everybody can get the vaccine. We all go back to normal. But now there's New York Times magazine or articles dropping about, uh, yeah, once you get this vaccine, you still got to wear the mask because we hope it stops you from getting coronavirus, but we don't know if it stops you from spreading it. Right. This is why I have such an issue with the LP pushing at the forefront of its message, if it's very weak messaging about the lockdown, this whole, well, if businesses want to make you wear a mask, that's okay. The market will work it out. And if you want to take a vaccine, that's okay. You know, the market will work it out. People should have their free choice because it's not being pushed by the market. It's being pushed by government mandates. The reason that businesses are making you wear a mask is because the government is making them tell you that. And I imagine that we're gonna probably start to see the same thing with vaccinations. It's just, it's a complete mess and we need to put liberty at the forefront of our messaging, not this kind of weak, well, as long as we you know, try to do the nicest thing, then everything will work out. Because what we're seeing right now is, you know, the government and, and obviously this cronyism with Pfizer and AstraZeneca and the other companies, you know, they're all capitalizing on this while we're basically going broke sitting at home and we can't even go outside or go to the movies and experience some escapism. Yeah, so absolutely. It's, it's really disappointing. You know, I, I'm perpetually disappointed in government. That's not a shock. I'm never, yeah, never, never inspired by major pharmaceutical companies either, but I don't like to be disappointed by my own party. There's, there's a lot of, uh, I guess, ideologic inconsistencies going abound with, with a lot of what's going on. Um, you know, it's like, I, I always hear people talk about big pharma is such a bad thing, but now they're praising, they're singing the praises of these companies for rushing yeah. this vaccine in record time um, to push it out. And they're harping on everybody needs to, you know, we have to get this vaccine to as many people as possible and we got to do it so that it's at no cost to them. But, you know, it's like people still aren't seeing the fact that you have a company mass producing this vaccine that everybody has been compelled to want to get, you know, right. Just for this. It's like the key to return to normalcy, you know, Oh, we got this vaccine pumped out. You get your two doses of it and you know, Three months from now, after 100 days of wearing a mask or whatever, we can all go back to normal. I mean, you know, I don't know, I don't know why we're not at somewhat semi-normal right now. I yeah, I, I, I'm just like, yeah, I think we're being lied to because you already told us two weeks to flatten the curve. And then you said, okay, so now we got to do a mask. And now we got to do social distancing. And then everything has to stay shut down. And then we have to keep repeating. Oh, it's not enough. We have to do it harder. Now we have to take a vaccine. I just don't buy it. You're not going to convince me that as long as we take a vaccine and social distance and wear a mask and keep uh, team sports and concerts closed, we'll 
definitely beat it in just a few more months. No, it's like an abusive relationship where you keep going back and then you get punched in the face and you're like, oh, but maybe next time he'll change. No, it's not going to. Like, you've got to just break up with government or at least don't kid yourself, you know, don't believe that things are going to be different just this next time. I, I, I'm disturbed when I think about the regulatory practices that have, that have been put in place by this. And I don't think that they're going to be rolled back so easily. I mean, how often do you see laws put in for emergency protection and then they're repealed, you know, a few months later, that's almost never how this works out. They no. keep them. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And, uh, that goes into the next bit here because uh, the thing that caught me by surprise with, with you and that really wanted to spark my interest in interviewing you was uh, the fact that you're seeking the chair for the LP National in 2022. And when I read that you were seeking that, I kind of had this moment because I'm not, uh, as you say, if people aren't politically active in a party or engaged behind the scenes with, uh, with, you know, the political parties and processes like that, that they probably don't know. I didn't know. I was like, I was like, she's seeking 2022 LP chair. Didn't we just get a new LP chair? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I was like, did we, did we just get one? What isn't this kind of like jumping the gun early? So tell me a little bit about this. What, what, what has sparked your interest in seeking LP national chair uh, and, and wanting to come out now and, and put it out there now and start the work now? Oh, sure. I mean, and I'll preface it by saying that so far, Joe Bishop Hinchman, our current chair, is leaps and bounds better than Nick Sarwark. He doesn't go after people in public and create drama and division within the party. I really appreciate that. It does seem to be that some stuff is getting done, whatever that means. You know, I, I won't bore everyone to death with the details of the budget committee report and things like that. But, you know, things are moving forward. But I just... I feel like I need to run for the national chair because of the national party's absolute failure to rebuke the lockdowns. And, and part of that is, you know, like I, I'm running because I want to see the party put liberty at the forefront of its messaging again. I want the libertarian party to become a more welcoming place for libertarians because that is something that has not changed in the culture since we've gotten a new chair. Um, let me break that down a little bit. So there's the libertarian party and then there's the Liberty Movement. And the Libertarian Party is a little bit confused about its place in the Liberty Movement. We tend to think that we're the foundation, but that is not correct. The foundation of the Liberty Movement is Libertarians, and the majority of them exist outside of the party. Uh, one of the reasons that I'm really passionate about the, the activism that I do within the Mises Caucus is because the caucus came together because of grievances that it had within the party, its messaging and its strategies, one thing we did is we received, we, we sought out criticisms from people outside of the party and we took their feedback. It's like, you just got to take your lumps. If there are a hundred thousand people outside of the party who are saying, I won't join because X, Y, Z, and all of their reasons are fairly similar. And you ask people who are very skilled at messaging, people who run podcasts, people who are, who are New York times, bestselling authors who have large audiences. If you go to them and you say, Hey, why don't you like the Libertarian Party? And they give you pretty much the same reasons that 100,000 other people gave you. You might want to consider that. And the party itself has done a very poor job of taking constructive, constructive criticism. And I would like to change that. 
I would like to take the feedback. You know, I've listened, I've heard the grievances of people outside of the party. And for most, for the majority of their grievances, I think, you know what, you're right. Our messaging isn't good. Our strategy isn't very good. Our, the way we run our ballot access campaigns is obviously a problem since we have to scramble to regain ballot access every four years. We're not getting people enthused. You know, the, the, the liberty movement as a whole looks a lot more like Ron Paul than it looks like Gary Johnson. And I would like to see something like a Ron Paul revolution 2.0 happen within the party this time instead of outside of it. Because that not that what we're here for? Isn't that why we exist? We want to see people get on fire for liberty. We obviously want to defeat these two big parties. But what's, why are we doing that? It's because we want to achieve liberty. It's not because we want to have this tight-knit little social club where we snipe at people who are outside of our circle. We want to grow our circle, and we want to do it you know, in a philosophically consistent manner. Absolutely. And, and I, I couldn't agree more with you. Um... I'm not I can't comment too heavily on on Joe Bishop Henchman. Um, just that he's better than Nicholas Sarwark, but I'm not sure that sure. that's saying much. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. I mean, we've set a low bar, and I feel like right now, you know, yet again, we are dropping the ball at the biggest opportunity. You know that it's been placed in our laps, and part of it's because we're not sure what we're supposed to be doing. We need to be purpose-driven, but we can't do that until we rediscover our purpose. And the party has morphed and gone through several iterations since David Nolan founded it in the 1970s. I'd like us to morph and go through another iteration, but I'd like us to kind of stay, you know, like, sure, we can adapt with times. We can change our messaging to reflect not changes in liberty and our philosophy, but to, you know, the way that people speak young people, reaching out to them, changes like that. But we don't need to like water down and make gross compromises to try to get people to pay attention to us. That's not the way to do it. And it doesn't work in any other, uh, in any other field either. You know, marketing will tell you that if you're, you know, if you're selling grapes and uh, you, you really want to increase your market share, you don't go out and pretend that grapes are apples and convince everyone that way. That just, that, that is an absolute failure. We need to treat liberty like a little bit more, you know, maybe like a commodity and pay attention to people who are successful and do things that way. Since, since you said that, I, I just want to, I, I didn't think I was going to bring this up, but uh, it, it crossed my mind because uh, I interviewed Cliff Maloney a couple weeks ago with uh, Young Americans for Liberty. So obviously, I, I'm sure you've probably paid attention to their work and mm -hmm. I'm sure you've seen some of the successes that they've had. Do you think that they're they're an organization to kind of look at and like take good points from and kind of apply it to to how the LP runs. Yes, yes, I do. And a lot of people within the LP now, not all, but a lot, will turn up their noses and say, "Ew, Yao works with Republicans, and we're not Republicans, so we should shun them." <sighs> I just, you know, <laughs> that's not the way to improve your organization. First of all, we don't shun people we're trying to win over. Second of all, if we don't have a skill and we need to improve, we should look at who is good at doing it, regardless of what their political ideology is. You know, I've read Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals. I've read uh, Win Bigly by, I think it's Scott Adams. You know, I'm interested in winning. I'm not, I'm not interested in compromising our principles, but I'm very interested in winning. And that means that you have to swallow your pride sometimes and admit, I don't know how to do this. 
I'm not an expert. Just seek out the advice of someone who is. That's just such a basic concept. I'm not sure why the LP's arrogance gets in its way, you know, so much. We get in our own way of success. Yeah, yeah. Too prideful and, and not, not I, I agree with you. I like the approach that you're putting forward here where you're suggesting that you take a look at the criticisms that are coming in. The hard thing to do is to stand in front of the mirror and say, yeah, you know what? We got some problems and we need to work on it. But that's the tough work that needs to be done to move things forward. Otherwise, you just double down at where you're at and you build up even higher hurdles to try to overcome. Yeah, it gets harder the longer you cling to, to bad ideas. I like to call them the sacred cows of the LP. So, you know, the LP has a lot of sacred cows. Uh, and, and the theory, you know, of a sacred cow is that it's, it's a thing we've been doing forever that no one can question uh, because, we've, because leadership believes it's absolutely the best thing ever and it's essential to our success. And it seems like a lot of our strategies and traditions have become sacred cows of like the utmost LP holiness. The newsletter is an example. Did you guys know we send out a paper, like a newsprint newsletter on a regular basis? How many people oh. do you think that reaches? No one, it just goes <laughs> to like the members. It goes in my newspaper, my, and I'm like, oh, look, it's the, oh, look. It's, a, it's an old, new, outdated looking newspaper with stories about people I know and then some, dude, come on, come on. It's, it's expensive too, that's why I bring it up. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, we put the party through great financial strain over things like this. And we also waste our resources and create messaging hurdles so that we can hold on to all of these ineffective tactics. We refuse to admit we were wrong because that would take humility and humility is just not part of libertarian party culture. So instead of admitting we have failed experiments and learning from our mistakes and moving on, we just allow these failures to become monuments to our stubbornness. And uh, we think that we'll just tie them to being principled and, and that'll make it okay. But it just further alienates, you know, small L libertarians and people who'd like to see the party be successful. Yeah, no, I, I 100% I agree with that. Um, we've, we've been going at it for about a half hour, Angela. So uh, we're going to have to start wrapping up here. Uh, where can people find you online, um, social media, websites, whatever you got to throw out there? And what, what is your drive home point? What, what do you want them to take away from this and from Angela McArdle and, and moving the Libertarian Party forward? Sure. I just, I want you all, if you're feeling a little bit discouraged about the LP, I want you to not give up. I want you to join your state party, become active, become delegates to the 2022 convention and, and help me turn this thing around. And, and if you're skeptical, I'd ask that you just continue watching and seeing where things go. You can find me at AngelaMcArdle.com. And if you're curious to see what I'm actually doing at LA County and how effective some of my strategies are, you can visit the county's website at LPLAC.us. Awesome. Well, Angela McArdle, thank you for coming on to the FritzCast. Thanks for giving me the time and, and my audience the time as well. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, you thought it was just done. You thought, oh, Fritz is just going to play his little interview and then he's going to disappear at the end or like it's just going to end at the end of the interview and that there isn't going to be a closing thing. Like, yeah, okay, I get it. I've been a bad podcaster as of late. I haven't done closings. Okay, so that was the interview with Angela McCardell. Isn't she awesome? Isn't she great? I'm so glad I had the opportunity to have her on and I have a feeling that she may be a repeat guest, wink, wink, 
not making, you know, I'm not saying that it's that, but I'm just saying she's probably going to be a repeat guest, you know? So, guys, thanks for listening to FritzCast. And if you're wondering, hey, is there something I could do for this guy? Could I help this guy out? You can help this guy out, and you can do it without even spending a dime. You want to know how you do it? You tell people to follow me on Twitter at FritzQS. You tell people to go to Facebook.com slash TheFritzCast. You share the YouTube page with people. You share the, the podcast links with people, whether it's Apple Podcasts or whatever. You go to the Podchaser, the Podchaser page, Podchaser.com slash FritzCast. All those resources, you give them all of that. And then if you really want to, you give them my email address, FritzCastPodcast at gmail.com. That's how you help FritzCast out. And you do it also by liking, subscribing, and doing all that business below. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. And it's Christmas time. In the spirit of giving, give me that. <laughs> give me that. No, no, but I love you guys, for real. I'll be back next week. Like I said, the show next week is probably going to be a little bit little less on the politics and a little more on, like, you know, the Christmas spirit and the holidays and what we like about them. You know, like my favorite cookie recipes, <laughs> you know? Because why why do I have to talk about President-elect Biden? I'm going to have a whole year to talk about President-elect Biden. Well, he'll be president by then. Can you believe that? Third time's a charm for that dude. Third time's a charm. Crazy. Got the most votes in history. Anyway, anyway, I love you guys. Just do your thing and I'll catch you next week.